0: You are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best and in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Hey, this is Jimmy Harlow, and this is your first episode of our second season of Keeping It Real with Jimbo. So, you know, I, I just want to say, you know, I, I appreciate everybody's time, and today is going to be a great show, and I'm so pumped to talk about and, and 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 to bring a successful professional licensed therapist onto my show. And what we're going to talk about today is the importance of mental health. As you all know, I'm in the fitness world, and, you know, I encourage people to take care of their body, you know but as as the title of the episode says what we're, what we're what we'll answer today is why don't we treat mental illness like we do physical illness you know i'm going to go out out of my comfort zone a little bit today you know but i truly feel that this is a topic that needs to be discussed and i want to talk about this because you know the education about mental health and mental health illness and and the need for treatment has been growing in recent years and i think that in large part due to campaigns to raise awareness about depression, addiction, bipolar disorder, you know, suicide, as well as you know, you know, more celebrities being open about their own, you know, mental health struggles, despite you know this progression, many people who, you know, need help for mental health issues don't seek it. So I wanted to uh, kind of drill down and speak with Tanya Heiser. She is just, you know, I I can't say enough about Tanya. I want to stop for just a minute. Tanya is the most beautiful person in the world, and she has helped so many people. And I'm going to let Tanya, you know, just kind of tell you a little bit more about Tanya. But tell me a little bit more about Tanya.
1: Well, thank you for that lovely introduction. It's not bad for an early morning to be called the beautiful person in the world. Thank you
0: (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and you're such a beautiful person because I can't, I can't, I just can't imagine, you know, the amount of, you know, things that you encounter and things that you, the things that you see and the, and the way that you help people is just such an amazing thing. And I'm so intrigued, and I want to hear more about that.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm really pleased to be here today because, like you saying earlier, mental health is such an important part of our overall health, and as you were talking earlier, you were saying that physical health is your domain and certainly you have expertise in that and mental health is my domain. Um, And I'd like to think I have expertise in that. I certainly have studied enough for it, but you asked, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. So um, I, one of the things that I think was a little bit unique to me that I didn't realize until much later in life was that I knew at a very young age that this is what I wanted to do for a living. And I kind of thought everybody felt that way, that they all just kind of knew what they wanted to do. And it wasn't until I had uh, my children get into the college age time frame that I realized that, no, most people don't know. So I feel very fortuitous and blessed that that was kind of my path. And it was a long path because it takes some schooling to get through it. But it certainly is what I have been meant to do and feel like that's my purpose in life. So it's great when you get to do that for a career and spend your days doing it. And I really love it.
0: And you know what, you know, it, it, Tanya, and I kind of wanted you to say that in your own words, you know, in preparation for the show, you know, I looked over your website, you know, which is great, by the way, you know, I have so many questions. But the first one is, you know, the name of your website is at 10 years old, you know, and you kind of, you know, kind of preluded that, you know, mm-hmm. to what I was talking about. And talking about, you know, you know, you know, it's what you wanted to do you know, as a career from jump, you know, and and that's, you know, that's so true in in, in the way that you help people, man, you know, and I also, I want to say this. How did you come up with 212 psychotherapy for the name of your business? Tell me, tell me how you came up with
1: that. Well, it's, it's a little bit uh, deceiving because it's actually 212 degrees psychotherapy, there's a little degree mark, and we don't say the degree when we talk about it. But the point of it that I I read this somewhere that at 211 degrees, uh, water is hot, and at 212 degrees, it boils. And one degree makes the difference between simply having hot water and having something strong enough to power a locomotive. And so from that, I started to think about it. And I thought, gosh, you know, how much change does it really take for a person to feel better? And if we put it in a measurable um, amount, it's literally one degree. If we literally can shift one degree and go start going down that direction, you it starts to snowball and you start to make more and more changes. But it felt to me like it was uh, an easier way for people to understand and feel comfortable coming into therapy when you realize you feel like you have 8,000 problems and you're not sure how you're going to talk about all of them and get answers to all of them or find your way through it. But if you start to put it down into, well, all you got to do is make one degree of change, that feels much more measurable and manageable.
0: So, so what you're kind of saying is that small steps count? Small Absolutely. Steps matter.
1: Absolutely.
0: You know, one step at a time, tackle one issue at a time, you know, you know, you know, as they say, you know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, right? Correct. That's really, that's really awesome. You know, despite the progress in recent years of bringing, you know, the light to importance of mental health care, many people are afraid, you know, that being stigmatized, you know, if they admit that they need help, you know, you know, just for example, you know, I like, you know, I like the rock, I like wrestling, you know, the rock has come out with, you know how he had you know he, he you know had some struggles with depression you know mm-hmm. and and you know just the risk of putting yourself out there with you know these rich movie stars and things like that but you know you've seen people in the recent past and more and more people are coming out with with mental health issues and 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 I'm sure there's a lot of people that are unsure of themselves about you know you know where their position is in life and I'm sure it's hard to risk you know social and professional you know, capital to seek help. And why do you think admitting your problem to your doctor, your spouse, or even like yourself, even yourself can be the most difficult thing?
1: You know, it's a brilliant question because it, it happens to all of us. And the reason that it is so difficult, at least in my opinion, um, is that we get used to how we are. We get used to how we feel we get used to how we think. And after a certain amount of time, that just becomes our norm. And it becomes difficult to recognize sometimes that we actually are depressed or anxious because that's just how we feel every day. So it can be really helpful to have a loved one who can mention that to you and say, you know, I've noticed you don't smile as much as you used to, or you seem to kind of be more nervous than you used to. And that can be very helpful. But even that, if it's our loved one, even that can feel awkward and uncertain. And we don't want to talk about it. Another reason is that the history of mental health and and, um, understanding uh, psychology is a very, very, very new um, subject in, in the grand scheme of, of the timeline of life. Medical issues have been around forever and a day, literally because we can see them or feel them. We can point to our broken arm and say, This hurts. And everybody and their brother can see that typically. Um, but when you're talking about something inside your brain, you have to describe it and you have to know how to talk about it in a way that the person who's listening to you has any idea what you're saying. And that's very difficult,
0: Wow, okay, so you know for someone who has not been treated for mental health issues might you know have some you know pretty strange ideas about how it's done, you know there's the old French you know stereotype of the patient laying down on the couch you know describing his dreams you know for an hour you know while the therapist is you know sits there silently, you know I would think some people you know they might fear the vulnerability of telling a stranger their problem you know do you, do you find this to be true?
1: Absolutely. And I find the stereotype so funny because anymore, even if we were in person and a lot of us are not doing in-person sessions, we're doing telehealth, um, which started because of the pandemic a couple of years ago. Um, But even if we were in person, I've never seen that actually happen where there's a couch and somebody lies on it and the therapist sits behind them and takes notes and, you know, acts superior. That isn't it at all. The way I approach it is it's a meeting of the minds and that you as the client, you know yourself. So I just need you to tell me about you. And when you put it in form of, uh, let's tell me your story, tell me about your life, tell me what got you here. And it starts to, people start to loosen up a little bit better versus if I said, tell me exactly all the symptoms that you feel and make them try to, understand all of the symptoms. Like I don't get out of bed like I used to, or I, I feel sick every morning and I can't figure out why, and I can't shut off my thoughts. Those are hard things to come up with when you're sitting with a stranger and they're trying, your therapist as a stranger, and they're trying to figure out what to say and how to say it. So it's really important for a therapist to make it as easeful as possible for the client. And of course, nobody wants to appear weak. There's a fear of rejection. There's a fear of of, you know, am I gonna sound crazy? And if I am crazy, what does that mean? Because again, movies like to show this as a very, you know, bizarro situation, but where people are locked up for being quote unquote crazy. And and of course in history that was true. We had very crude, awful ways of handling people with mental illness because it was so misunderstood. But that's not the case anymore.
0: So do you think it's harder for men or women to seek help?
1: Well, we could spend an hour on that conversation alone. But I do think, I think it's hard for people who are not comfortable talking about their feelings, man or woman, however, I I would say that it's typically harder for men to admit feeling upset by things. And especially if it's an upsetness that is actually depression. Or anxiety, or whatever, um, because there is that weakness factor, right? Men culturally, for years and millennium, really have been taught to be strong, uh, don't show emotions, rub some dirt in it, it'll get better. You know, there's just no ability to have their emotions and and even understand them or even experience them. And if you think about it, men are traditionally protectors, and and they're supposed to be strong they're physically typically bigger than females which accounts for again that idea of of men being protectors um and so it it is harder i think and what i found really interesting is i had a, a friend actually male friend that was going to a therapist and i had asked him why he chose the therapist he did and there were several reasons, but one of them was because he, uh, the therapist he chose was, was also a male. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, that makes sense, somebody who can understand you. And he said, no, it wasn't even that. He said, I would feel terrible unloading all of my stuff onto a woman. That's not fair to her, even though that woman would be a trained professional. So even that was a barrier for this particular person. And I would imagine other men as well.
0: Fortunately, my therapist is a woman.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's nothing to say that female therapists are better than males, by any means. I, more-
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I, I
1: unload all my
0: problems on, on my therapist, and she's a female, so that that's what, you right. know, I, I want to tell you this, so I want you to explain something to me and, and to our audiences yeah. as, as well you know, what is the difference between depression, anxiety, acute stress, and chronic stress?
1: So I'm going to give you layman's uh, terms because I have not memorized, of course, what the uh, actual way of, of, of explaining it is. And it wouldn't mean anything anyway. You can always look it up. But when it comes to depression, so it's, there's lots of, of examples of it. And there's lots of symptoms such as, and I gave a few earlier, such as um, having a hard time getting out of bed in the morning, um, feeling like you're not wanting to do the activities that normally you like to do, they just don't bring you joy anymore, call that apathy. Withdrawing, isolation. And and what's kind of hard is we saw that happen with the pandemic where we were mandated to isolate and withdraw. And for some people that has become a norm and a way of life. Um but they're really not living their life, and they're starting to feel depressed because of that, which is a, a whole nother set of issues we've realized with with the pandemic. But at any anyway, rate, the depression is where we have enough stressors or situations that pile up that we can't recoup from. So we kind of sit in our junk, if you will, and we can't find our way out of it. That's a very simple, simplified way of explaining depression. And certainly there are chemical imbalances that occur in the brain that um, some people are born with that causes them to have um, clinical depression, we call it, which is from kind of from the word go, always been depressed. But the one I see the most is kind of the situational depression where things, life just has gotten to you. You haven't been able to cope in a way that is helpful and you haven't found your way out of it. Um, So you don't feel very positive. You don't feel very good. And what's really hard is that so often our mental anguish shows up in our physical bodies. So stomach aches, um, even heartburn, um, feeling, um, having um, tension in our shoulders, headaches, those are all really common signs of, or could be signs of what's going on mentally. But if you don't know that, you're gonna to go to your doctor and say I have heartburn and they're gonna say take some antacids. And while that's fine, it doesn't necessarily address the whole person and understanding that maybe there's some mental stuff going on that just needs to be talked about and worked through. So that's depression. Anxiety is a, it can be very difficult to distinguish from depression because a lot of times they go hand in hand and it's hard to tell which came first. Not that it really matters um, as far as talking about issues. It would matter perhaps when you're seeking out medication to treat these issues. But a doctor would walk you through that. But anxiety is when our system is so overloaded uh, that you're on high alert all the time. And it's kind of like, uh, I'd liken it to our smoke alarms in our, in our kitchens or our homes that go off, and I don't know about yours, but mine go off. Kind of every time I cook, because I'm a terrible cook, and so anytime <laughs> it's slowly, even even there starts right. the a little bit of smoke, uh, the alarm will go off, and and so but there's no actual danger in my kitchen. It's just the alarm is going off. So if you put that into a person, when someone has anxiety, they're kind of always on high alert and heightened, so that um, simple things now become treacherous or dangerous, and or feeling treacherous or dangerous, just like the smoke alarm. So learning how to uh, calm that part of yourself down, um, being able to find effective coping skills, and really looking at what's causing the anxiety to begin with is is helpful. Acute stress, um, that's kind of that, uh, the way I think of it is is kind of that um, in the moment something happened, like um, everyday life stuff that happens, Um, Someone dies, which is terrible and awful, but there's the stress of that, but it doesn't linger. It doesn't last. Certainly grief can happen with Mm -hmm. that, but but the stress of it is over quickly. Um, We have skills to work through it. You can talk to friends or whoever, and you kind of move through the situation with no real lasting effect. That's normal. Everybody has acute stress. Chronic stress is when we, it's a problem because obviously it's chronic. It doesn't go away and frequently builds. So it's prolonged over time and a person probably doesn't have the skills with which to deal with it. And so other stressors that would normally be something we'd handle, no big deal, start to become a big deal. And chronic stress then can lead to a host of issues. And of course, in the physical world, you know, physically what it can lead to, and I mentioned that earlier wear and tear on the body in lots of ways. Um, but then mentally, as well, leads to anxiety, leads to depression. Uh, chronic stress, also depending on the situation, is linked to uh, post traumatic stress disorder, which is a trauma based um, issue. And so, being able to, I think, I, let me start over the key to all of this is really knowing yourself knowing how you think and how you feel so that you can recognize when you start to not feel how you typically feel
0: when they change. Yeah. I guess that would be the old Barney Fife nip it in the bud, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. You know, and it would seem to me that chronic stress would obviously be the glaring, the most serious type of stress, the chronic stress. Would I be wrong by going down that
1: path? Certainly, it, it's terrible because, yeah, it has a wear and tear on our body for sure, and it affects our heart, our adrenal system, um, which is our coping system, really. It's it's within our anxiety system. And so when you start to wear and tear on your body, as you notice with a car, for example, it just right. doesn't Right. So, yeah, so it is important to be able to look at um, yourself holistically or as a physician or, or a psychiatrist or therapist can also look at you holistically. And we look at things like, how are you feeling physically? And and again, not not that we have the expertise physicians, but being able to kind of put a puzzle together and say, oh, you notice that when you're anxious, you throw up every time, whatever. That's an issue, right? So that's going to affect right. um, your nutrition. That's going to affect how you feel about yourself. That could even lead to an eating disorder, right? So there's lots of pieces to look at to kind of put, like I said, put the puzzle together. But absolutely knowing yourself. Because you know what it's like? This is a good example. It's like when you get into a hot bath and the water's, you know, hot temperature. And as you're sitting in the bathtub, it eventually gets cool and then cold if you stay in long enough. And it's really hard to define the moment when it went from hot to cold, it just sort of happens. And that's how people start to operate in their life. We're so busy and we're so distracted by our electronics and social media and whatever we pay attention to that we we don't pay attention to our bodies anymore. We don't pay attention to our feelings. And so it is like being in a bathtub that went from hot to cold. You just all of a sudden are in cold water going, oh, this sucks. I need to do something different. Now what? And that's where people get trouble because they really don't know what to do. Who do you talk to? And and you know, I had a client the other day that needs to meet with a psychiatrist. I see her for therapy, but she needs to meet with a psychiatrist for medication. And she's a 22-year-old in college, she's going to be in the medical field. She's extremely bright. And she said to me, she said, "But I don't know how to make an appointment with a psychiatrist." And I thought that was so interesting because it's no different than making a doctor appointment for, you know, Strep throat, or whatever you go to the doctor for, mm-hmm. and but for her mm-hmm. it was different because it was psychiatry. It was in the mental health field, so there certainly is this mystery about how do you do this. So I told her literally, you just call and say I'd like to make an appointment, like you would with right, else. Right. Google. <laughs> yeah, I was like well, no um, Google Tanya. But, but it brought out 212 up a really good- degrees yeah exactly hey <laughs> I, is- I i I'll, scream, I'll streamline it for ecology is so shrouded in this mystery and stigma and unawareness and and you know i i live this world 8 hours a day so for me it's not a mystery but it's a good reminder that for other people it is you know
0: you know i i don't want to go into too much detail um you know but i can say you know i you know i've been depressed at least you know once in my life you know enough to know that you know, I don't ever want to feel that way again. You know, back then I didn't probably handle it, you know, in a healthy way. And quite frankly, probably drank too much. You know, I'm glad to say, you know, I learned my lesson. You know, I found exercise to be a good way to reduce negative thoughts and, you know, break the cycle of harmful habits, you know, that I was, you know, developing along the way. You know, do you find that your clients or people in general tend to medicate themselves with alcohol or drugs? And can you tell us besides the obvious reasons why that isn't a good thing to do?
1: Oh, for sure. Yes. So I'm glad you can bring up your own, um, you know, references from yourself. And I think people are going to relate to that for sure. Um, So alcohol and drugs are certainly a quick escape from reality. Um, They're any more relatively easy to get your hands on. And a lot of times it starts early enough in life. Uh, teenage years, that um, it becomes a way of living and a way of coping without even realizing it. So um, part of the problem is that there's altered chemical states in your brain and that with, with alcohol or drugs, and it makes it really hard to know how do you really feel? Because when you take a substance, typically there is some sort of euphoric feeling or calming or feeling better whatever that means to the person and they like that a lot better than feeling pain and so what can happen then is you don't know how you feel you don't know the level of pain you're in emotionally and then mental health issues go undetected because you're masking them with the substance it's it's really the shortest route to getting comfortable and as we remember from science classes 100 years ago or however long unless we were in school, is that um, we humans try to maintain homeostasis, which is our general level of well-being, physically, emotionally, mentally. So if it becomes our general level of well-being becomes how we feel when we are under the influence, that becomes our norm. And we will always seek that out. And again, we're changing uh, brain chemicals and neural pathways in our brain that now that becomes how we think, feel, act. So it's difficult. That's why addiction is so difficult to deal with. Um, and it's really another, you know, in, in addition to mental health, another misunderstood um, illness that that really affects people. And it doesn't have to do with willpower. It has to do truly with neural pathways and brain chemistry that gets changed. So one of the reasons that it's it's not a good thing to do is, especially if you start when you're younger. Using substances is because it it um, our brains are not fully developed um, until the age of 26, actually, which makes us all wonder why at 18 we believe young people are able to be adults. Um, but so when it, and they don't fully develop, and when you're adding substances that change your brain chemistry to a non fully developed brain, it's going to negatively impact it, and it will make mental health issues worse again because you're covering it up, but also you're creating these new neural pathways. Um, and then, again, as I said earlier, it just creates a lifelong pattern of reaching for something to soothe over the pain versus making those internal changes that are longer lasting and creating that one degree of change to set you on the right course.
0: Right. More like taking the easy way out, right?
1: Um, yeah, that's probably a way to say it. Um, although when I work with people, I, you know, I don't think of it. I think they're in a lot of pain and their alcohol and has right more pain so yeah it's really a coping skill that that's not very effective in the long run but it's effective in the moment you know the first thing i learned in in therapy school that's not what it's called that's just what i call it but first thing i learned was or i remember learning was do not take away your clients coping skills unless you have something else for them to utilize and so even It is what we would consider a negative coping skill, such as alcohol or drug use, especially if it becomes a problem or illegal. Um, You still need to let them have it until you can get them something better to utilize. And not that we have to come up with it as a therapist, but something that they will actually utilize. Because I can give you 800 things to try, but if you're not going to do it, it doesn't matter. But it's that fine line in trying to shift them out of their use into... Uh, other ways of of dealing with things, and for someone who's a chronic user and has a host of mental health issues that are painful and hard to deal with, and likely trauma—that's usually at the root of many issues—it's a deep dive into someone's pain, and it's fine for me to do it with somebody, but certainly when you're on the other end of it, it's hard, very hard.
0: Sure, you know, and I can say that because I've I've been there. You know, I'm not sure mm-hmm. probably, I'm not sure probably everybody out there, you know, you, you know in the audience and has probably been there and, you know, had to cope with some different things, you know, and it might not be drugs or alcohol. Maybe it's ice cream, right. you know, maybe they, maybe, you know, maybe they go a different route, you know, it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be, you know, drugs or alcohol. It can maybe be an eating disorder, but, you know, but yeah, you know, I, I could certainly understand that. And then again, I think that would go with the, the whole process of you know taking one step at a time and 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 mm-hmm. you know me personally you know I just want to take a step back and you know if, if anybody you know just some advice from Jimbo out here I mean the, the the name of the show is keeping it real with Jimbo and you know I made a comment that that was the easy way out and and that's just keeping it real you know but mm-hmm. I'm also somebody that that has, that has walked that walk and been down that road just like just like probably everybody has and i just think that you know i personally have someone to be able to speak to and you know whether that person is is a licensed therapist like yourself or or even just your your girlfriend your mom your aunt your wife whoever that may be you know just being able to speak to somebody and get things off your chest and tell them really how you feel and open up to somebody i think is a very positive thing how do you feel about that
1: i absolutely agree with you i wouldn't be in this job in profession if i didn't and I think, you know, uh, people ask, well, why? Why does that matter? And what we know is that when you speak out loud about your issue, whatever it is, getting it off your chest, it cuts the issue or the pain of the issue in half. So in theory, the more you talk about it, the more the pain is released. And then, of course, it's not just talking about it, but that's part of it. But then it's talking about it to the point that the pain is released, so then you can start doing something else or thinking in a different way to create a different way of feeling about it. So it's really crucial to talk. That's what talk therapy is. It's it's being able to bring this up and then cutting that pain in half and then moving forward in another way so that you don't have to keep repeating the same behaviors or the same patterns that just aren't working for you anymore. And it's the example I use with my clients is it's like holding up the pair of jeans that you wore when you were six years old and going, why don't I fit into these? I don't understand, I should be able to fit into these. Even though I'm a grown adult, I don't understand why I can't fit into these. And those, And we would never do that, that's absurd. But yet that's what we do with our old coping skills that served us when we were a child. But now that we're an adult, they don't work anymore. And we're like, why not? I don't understand, this should still work well, they don't work anymore because we're not six years old. We're, we're sophisticated. Our brains are developed. We've had life kick us around a couple of times. We need new ways to cope and, and, and be and think and feel. And that's what therapy can do for you.
0: Well, I'm, I, it took me 49 years of my life to figure it out. But you know what, I I, I certainly believe that, that, that speaking with somebody, you know, on a regular basis and communicating and and talking about the emotions that you have and the issues that you have, and talking about your problems, I'm certainly a hundred percent believer in what you said about cutting the cutting the issue in half.
1: You know mm-hmm.
0: that 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 I, I, I a thousand percent agree. You know, um, you know, I, I, I you know I, I want to talk about this, Tony, for a second. You know, I think that you know, you know, people that think of you know PTSD, mm-hmm. you know, they, they automatically think of folks you know that have been to war who are in the military, you know, but trauma is trauma, you know, you know, I'm not a professional, you know, I I don't think I can tell your brain, you know, the difference, you know, but as your website says, trauma can be caused by heartbreak, loss, betrayal, accidents, politics, social media. Oh my goodness. Social media. You know, and even the news that we watch on, on, you know, on a a daily basis, you know, Uh and yes, it's ugly and it feels bad, you know, I actually have two questions because, you know, I have a teen daughter, and this interests me. Do mm-hmm. you find that kids and teens are experiencing more mental health issues because of social media possibly causing trauma, and what can a parent do about that if it is an issue? I'm 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 ready for this
1: one, Tanya. Yeah, and and again, this is another topic we could spend a day and a half on. But um, so the short answer is yes. Um it, just anecdotally, I can tell you from my clinical practice, I'm seeing younger people, uh, teens, college students that are um, negatively impacted by social media, by their addiction to their phones. And I do say addiction intentionally. There is an addiction to phones, to social media. Um, there's, there's the idea of uh, um, loneliness. They talk about feeling lonely, even though they're friends, and I say that in air quotes, With three thousand people on whatever social media platform they're on, those are not true, genuine friendships. But so there's an so there's a belief. Look, I have three thousand friends, but there's no true connection, and so loneliness, isolation, uh, sets in. The idea that this is reality when social media is a false reality. It's not really what's happening. Not only because people lie all the time on social media and try to make themselves look better. but because we start to believe that this is how life is and we start to forget that life has a lot of pain in it and life has a lot of issues in it not not to say that life should be painful but we have things happen and if we don't teach our children how to handle pain and how to move through it how to for example heartbreak their first heartbreak you talk about your daughter being a teenager and young person first time she dates somebody and they break up with her how do you deal with that and if we don't teach our kids how to do that they reach outside of themselves or something else that makes them feel better well guess what Three thousand likes for something you post does for you it elevates your mood you feel important your dopamine in your brain kicks in but again it doesn't it's not connecting and it doesn't really mean anything another issue is that fomo fear of missing out that's a real thing. And I'll admit, at first, I was like, oh, seriously? No way. But someone, I went to a very interesting conference on this and uh, on social media and, and how it's affecting people. And they were explaining that back in the day when you and I, I'm in my 50s, when we were younger and we didn't go somewhere with the group of friends or we were on vacation with our folks. And so we knew that our friends were hanging out with each other, but we didn't have to watch it. We didn't have to get notified every six seconds with a ping on our phone and a photo of what a great time all our friends were having without us. So there's a huge difference between that. And so there's kids that are, you know, young people that are going on these fantastic vacations. This is a true story, going to Europe as their parents were you know, able to take them to Europe on some vacation and they were miserable. Because their friends were going to the movies without them, <laughs> which the movies compared to Europe, right? But but they right. couldn't enjoy where they were at because they were like, oh, but I know everybody's getting together. And what am I missing out on when they're getting together? So, and that starts to create some competition, right? Like we, we I mean, this has been around for ages, but I'm hearing more and more about if they, The collective group hangs out together. I'm not part of it. I will be ousted from this group. They will be forming these friendships that I am, these intertwining friendships that I'm not a part of, and I will be left out. And that fear of being left out is huge, 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 huge. It's been huge for people for years before social media. It's just that with social media, it's in our face constantly. We're constantly being aware of what we're not being a part of. So, what can a parent do about it? Um, The first thing. Is uh, monitor your child's teenagers, whoever usage of their phone, and that there's parental controls that can be put in place. There's um, one of the things I did with my kids is by 9 p.m. every night phones were off and they were in. I had a little basket, phones had to be in the basket, and I had control of them past nine o'clock. Now that shifted a little bit as they got into high school because there were some things they were needing for their phones for, but things like, well, that's my alarm. That's how I wake up in the morning. That's not a good enough reason to have their phone with them at night. You can buy a, an alarm clock at Walmart, wherever, and you can use that an alarm. So kids will hang onto their phones in this death-defying grip. But really, keeping it a parent needs to keep their minds about them and their wits about them and understand that that the kids need sleep first of all, but not only that, there needs to be rules in place about phones um so that leads to setting limits and boundaries. So when do you want your phone your child's phone time to be off? And I say phone, it can be any electronic device um wherever they're reaching out for social media. And so dinner time is one where a lot of parents say no phones at the table, but also that means you as a parent shouldn't have your phone at the table because of course modeling good behavior is very important, but there's connections that happen for the children and the parents when you put your phones down stop looking at screens TV or otherwise and start interacting with each other that will help a child learn how to have relationships because one of the things we're noticing with um the connection to the the social media and the electronic devices is these young people don't know how to have conversations in person they don't know how to answer the phone or end the phone phone etiquette they don't know how to do it they don't know like my example earlier they Take doctor's appointments they don't know how they know how to order food and have it delivered as long as they don't have to talk to anybody
0: I'm listening to you, but i, I I've, I've got a doozy for you in a minute I'm listening to you keep going Simon. <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah so so another idea is don't give your child electronic devices. they are not going to die if they don't have an electronic device. I promise that. In fact, I literally read this this week and I, I wish I, I, sorry, I don't remember where I saw it, but I was reading something and the author was, had the opportunity to meet a woman that had been part of the original cell phone designing engineering. And so the woman, the author said to this engineer, so when, what age did you give your children phones? And she, the engineer laughed and said, I'm, I don't, I don't give my children phones. So even though she had created this, she knew the detrimental side of it and never even bothered to give her kids phones because she didn't want them to get involved in this. That's a pretty scary statement to me. And, and yeah. Right. And, and so we have to be, we as parents and adults have to be kind of smarter than the marketing industry and, and know what's good for our children and stand up as parents and say, no, you know, sorry, sorry, you don't, you don't get to be a part of this. It's not good for you. So, those are some of the things parents can do. Um, and then, of course, communicating. Oh my God, I can't tell you how many people don't communicate with their kids. They don't ask them how their day was. Now, I understand. I've had three teenagers, they're now young adults. Uh, they're the prickly people. Sometimes they're not fun to communicate with, but showing the interest is really important. Saying hello and good morning and asking how your child is is really important. A, it's, it's it's letting the kid know you care, but also it's forming communication and connection, which allows the child to learn how to do that as well. And again, as I referenced earlier, we have a whole generation of kids that don't know how to interact in person, and that's problematic.
0: So, Tony, Mm -hmm. let me ask you this. So if you're, if you're, I'm I'm asking for a friend, wink, wink.
1: Yeah, sure. You know,
0: I'm asking for a friend. So if you're a part-time parent and they're already going down the road with the phone and then going down with the road, question one would be, what would you say to maybe monitor that a little bit more? Or I don't even know how to put that into words. The second question would be, Oh, uh, you talked about communicating. What if he, is, is there too much over communication and 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 you know? What if you are constantly checking on them and they're like, "I'm fine, leave me alone." What what if what, what if you get that kind of answer? Is that a teenager being a teenager, or, or what, what 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 would you say to that? Again, just asking for a friend.
1: Sure, sure. Well, for your friend, what I would say is. <laughs> <laughs> is there too much communication? Yes and no. There's a fine line between asking appropriate questions of your child to find out their well-being and trying to be their buddy and and be a teenager with them and trying to um, join their life so that you as the parent feel better about yourself. Mm. And so, yeah, that's where I would say there's a difference. So you know, we ask questions of, of people in general. How are you? How are things going? Now, that's a common phrase to say that to everybody we see during the day, and we don't really expect an in-depth answer. But with our children or our loved ones, we want an in-depth answer. So when they say, "Ugh, I'm fine, you say, okay, I'm glad to hear it. What does that mean? What does fine mean? And And you can ask them to define it. Uh, get a thesaurus for <laughs> for the person and say, Here, we're not. <laughs> and, and truly, good and fine are not very descriptive. So let's outlaw those two words. And in our house, we're going to use uh, other words. And you can even print off a list of words, right? Exhilarated, stupendous, whatever. Things that they can say or point to, even if you have a list that, that they can say, Yeah, this is how I feel. Because again, it's hard sometimes to come up with how you feel. And teenagers are full of emotions and hormones and life is hard. And so they don't always know how they feel. But mm. what teenage, teenagers do is they're good at being defensive. They're good at getting us off their back. Like I told you, my kids were prickly. Mm. That was, I used. And, it, you know, and, and man, being a therapist kid, you ain't getting away with nothing. So they're just like, <laughs> I, you are telling me. <laughs> and so it's, But it's ways of talking about it. And it's being relatable. It's being communicative. It's saying, hey, I care about you. You can say those words. I care about you. That's why I'm asking. I want us to have a healthy relationship. That's why I'm asking. You looked sad yesterday. Are you doing okay? Things like that. Mentioning the emotions you see on their face. Mentioning how they're reacting. A lot of parents are afraid to talk about that. But honestly, I find it the most effective way to say anything. You looked upset. Are you doing okay? Right. And you mentioned earlier with phones as a part-time parent, you absolutely have the ability to say, when you are with me, we're going to have phone-free time. And it doesn't matter as the part-time parent, if you're not the one who pays for the phone and the other parent pays for the phone, you still have the right to set the boundaries and the limitations and the rules for your home and for the time you are spending with your underage child. That's our God-given right as a parent. And we shouldn't be exercising that. So please feel free to do that. A lot of times parents say, well, I don't care for the phone. I really can't tell them how to use it. Uh, Yes, you can. We have laws that tell us how to use cars, whether they're ours or somebody else's. So, yep, you get to set those boundaries and limits. Now, your teenager is not going to like it. I get that. But that's the tough part (laughs) about being a parent. We have to set rules they don't like. But that's okay. We can do that. And the kid will thank you in the long run. My oldest, when she turned 18, we had, a, I remember we pulled into the garage of my house and we were talking about something and she sat there. We just sat in the car for a few minutes and she said, you know, I didn't like your rules all the time, but I understand them and they made me be better. And I know that's why you did them, And I really appreciate it. Now, not every kid is going to do that, but it was, it, it, they do get it. They, they do see it as helpful in the long run.
0: So it yeah. works, huh? <laughs> I,
1: well, I found it to be helpful. So I can
0: tell my friends. I can tell my friend to be strong.
1: That's right. Be a parent, man. Or hold That's their ground.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's right. I got you. I got you. Okay, so I tell you. What. So, so there's one last thing that I wanted. I wanted to talk about. You know, let's let's talk about wellness and prevention for a minute. You know, sure. you know, there's a reason that I personally drink. You know, no more than you know eight to you know eight to ten ounces of black coffee each day. You know, you know, you know, a week. You know, I try to limit the caffeine. You know, people who use, you know, frequently use, you know, coffee, tea, soda, energy drinks. You know, actually change their brain's chemistry and you know physical characteristics over time. You know. Because, you know, because it you know, both in water and and fat-soluble, caffeine can easily cross your blood, you know, brain as a barrier, you know, and and, and, and dump more and more caffeine into your body. You know, your brain cells actually grow more receptors, you know, for more neurotransmitters, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, I also like to encourage people to, you know, obviously exercise because it makes you feel good and research, you know, shows that it can help with depression, which I'm a big believer in that. You know, Mm -hmm. but besides, you know, cognitive behavior therapy, you know, can you tell our audience some quick tips that they could implement today in helping with their mental health disorder?
1: Sure. So, and of course, the disclaimer I say with this is that this is by no means um, treatment or therapy, and certainly it's not exhaustive to what can be helpful. And people who have clinical depression and real serious mental health issues, These are going to feel very Mickey Mouse, and I'm not meaning to make light of that. But just in general, for anyone, um, as we kind of talked about earlier, stay off the news and social media or limit your time with it because, um, as I mentioned, social media, there's a lot of uh, pitfalls and traps we fall into believing that's reality, believing that other people are living their best life and don't have any problems and they always look gorgeous and their makeup is always on correctly and their hair does wonderful things and blah, 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 blah. So limiting yourself to that and joining the world. Get involved in something in your immediate vicinity. Go outside. Nature is hugely beneficial in healing. Um, and then with the news, uh, we just know that the news it portrays everything. It's 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 a gotcha type of journalism where they want to be um, to see things and and be fearful. And if we can manuf- manufacture fear, people will. It's seductive. Fear is seductive. We buy into it. The chemicals that are released are 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 engaging in our body. Right. And even though it's painful at times, it's also like I said, very seductive. We want more and more and more and more and more. So, being a smart consumer. And recognizing that and limiting that is going to be very helpful. Um, I also think when I said joining something in your community, uh, giving back is really, really helpful. It gives us purpose in life. And by giving back, I mean volunteering or um, even donating money, although that's a little bit removed sometimes. But immersing yourself where you are helping others in any possible way. You could do it just in the grocery store by taking the cart from someone who has just finished it in the parking lot and, and offering to take it in yourself. Things like that, there's little ways in which we can give back to people. That's a huge mood bus, mood lifter and helpfulness in our in feeling purpose in our life. Um, laughter, laughter is the best medicine. Uh, it is truly- I believe that. Uh, yep, it <laughs> releases lots of endorphins, lots of good things. So finding ways to laugh every day and really laughing at, at yourself in a healthy way um, where you're, you can appreciate, you know, when you spilled your coffee, or as I did, I literally had my piece of toast this morning. As I was taking it, my hand dropped it, landed butter side up on my shirt, so it's full of butter and grease. And I, I could have gotten upset, and I started laughing. I was like, well, that's par for the course, right? I'm in a hurry. I'm trying to get things done, and and now I'm going to wear this butter shirt today. Um, but laughing at stuff, right? And and again, it releases endorphins. It's helpful. Being the casual observer of your thoughts feelings or situations and i love the phrase casual observer because so often we are in a situation and we make all sorts of judgments about it oh i should have done this oh i shouldn't have said that that's a judgment and instead of doing the judgment take a step back and casually observe it well they said this and then i said that was that so bad not really nobody died Everybody walked away fine. Or, yeah, it was terrible. I feel like I just lost my friendship based on what I just said. So then you can take a casual observer stance, look at it, and then go back and fix it. And that's a piece of uh, solution and resolution that we often forget. Almost everything is resolvable or solvable. I I guess unless it's death, that would probably be the only thing that's not. But almost everything else has a resolution or solution, and we forget that. So we try to preemptively never make anybody upset so that we can maintain our relationships, whatever it is we're trying to maintain, instead of trusting that we can say what we need to say, be who we are, and that the other person will have their reaction. And then we can go from there talking about it or figuring out what a better way of handling it is but being able to not have the judgment is going to be very very helpful and the last thing i would say is know that you're not alone uh, you've been very jim you've been very um open about your struggles uh, i am not immune to them i've had therapists myself um certainly even therapists have um, because we're all human and we are involved in this human condition And like I used the term earlier, life can throw us around a little bit. And um, having help along the way, we're social creatures, we're not meant to live in isolation. So reaching out and talking to somebody, professional or other, is probably the biggest gift you can give yourself and therefore other people around you.
0: You know, those last two things that you just said, Tom, they they hit me pretty hard and they, they hit pretty close to home. And you know those were those are those are some really you know great great pieces of uh, information to take with you. And I hope that the audience, you know, certainly got something out of this this first show of our second season. And you know, I, I, I certainly wanted to thank you for your time in, in coming on my show and and giving us the information that we have. I think that it was really really great. You know, it, it, did you have any parting words for the audience or anything that you would? you know, recommend or want to leave us with. And and those last few statements that you made were actually, you know, hit very home to me. But is there anything else that you'd like to add to that, Tanya?
1: Yeah, um, echoing kind of what I just said. But yeah, you're not alone. Um, and I want to make a special mention um, for people who have suicidal feelings or thoughts. There is a new national hotline number. It is 988. Um, and it was released, I think, this summer. I don't know how much it was publicized but um that is out there um i love that there are tv shows and movies that if there is going to be um i've seen them uh, advertised before the show it'll say this is addressing suicide if you feel suicidal reach out to this number or whatever issue it is that they're talking about i think that's fantastic but there are so many resources available and you can look it up on the internet you can make a phone call you can literally talk to your neighbor, but just making sure you reach out and just start talking, because people are going to listen, and we've all been through it on one degree or another. And so knowing that you're not alone, I think, is the biggest thing.
0: Hey, so, so they just have to put nine eight eight. That's the number nine eight eight. Yes. Okay. Just it's kind of like nine one one or four one one. Just nine eight eight.
1: Nine eight eight. Yep. And it's supposed to reach the okay. national hub. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Okay. I got it. Yeah. You know, and, and before we go to commercial break, you know, can can you tell our audience, you know, where they can find you and possibly reach out to you?
1: Uh sure. So my website is two one two, so the numerics, psychotherapy.com. So two one two psychotherapy.com. And uh you, from there there's an info page that you can write, uh put your information on and, and what you want to talk about, and it will get to uh, myself or any of us in the agency um, and certainly though I do want to say that if you are looking for a therapist uh, in your area it's uh, one of the best ways to do it is go to uh, one of the um, uh, like psychology today uh, psychotherapy networker those are websites that have people listed uh, if if the if the therapist um, is part of that network um, we sign up to be part of that network uh, so it'll list us by our the insurances we take, the specialties if we work with anxiety or depression or trauma, um, and then if we're in your area. So those are good, good resources for people to find a therapist. Also, you can call your insurance. Um, if you have insurance, you can call your insurance uh, or go online and look at what your insurance covers. And they will have a list of uh, providers for lots of different issues, doctors and and. You know, bone health and whatever, but also include mental health now.
0: Thank you so much for the information, Tanya. And again, you know, thank you again, thank you again to the listeners. Please stay tuned. Tanya, great information. I can't wait to talk to you soon. And uh, I'll be right back after this commercial break for my sponsor. Son, how are you feeling?
1: Um, uh, I'm fine, pops.
0: What's on your mind?
1: I just can't explain it when your kid can't find the language find the lyrics start a conversation at soundedouttogether.org brought to you by Ed council and pivotal ventures
0: all right welcome back i hope you enjoyed this episode with tanya she's such a great speaker and talented therapist you know i hope that you take some valuable information from the conversation and can apply it in one way in your life or maybe in someone that you that you're close to you know All of her contact info will be on the show's landing page. All right. Now, here's the deal, guys. Everybody needs to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any other episodes. And lastly, remember, we are syndicated, so the show will be on the Up To Me radio channel and on the following popular apps. Spotify, Alexa, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. I look forward to serving you in the episodes to come. I see you next time around. Until then, cheers, take care, and always, Jimbo is in it for the win. Peace out.